Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of QSR Uncut. I'm your host, Danny Klein, the editorial director here at QSR. And we are doing, uh, again, one of my favorite types of podcasts, which is when we talk to the people who are behind the solutions that make the industry work. I think, as you know, as you know from past episodes, there are a lot of these out there these days, but the key is that there are so many fixes and concerns on the plate of operators that they're really looking to optimize a lot of this innovation that really came through the gates through the last few years. So without further ado, I want to introduce our guest this week, Kelly Zimmerman. She's the president and CRO of Brightloom. So Kelly, um, first of all, thank you for joining us. If you want to just take a minute to introduce yourself, your background, um, Brightloom as a company and what you all do, and we'll take it from there. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Danny, for having me. So my name is Kelly. I run uh, Brightloom, a really exciting and up and coming uh, data platform company that has been working you know, over the last two to three years at really fine tuning. Um, our platform built for, for restaurants like all of your, your listeners. I've been in the software industry now for about 20 years. Oh, that makes me age myself. Um, you know, well, and it makes else? you feel better. I've been a journalist for about 20 years, so <laughs> okay. close. you never until you have to say it out loud, you don't believe it. Right. But now I, well, I have to. well, yeah, this, this year we do this, um, we do this young leaders to watch article every year and I'm now officially too old to be in it, which <laughs> is terrible. Not that I was ever going to be in it, but just the fact that every person that I pick on there this year is now going to be younger than me. is very sad. <laughs> Anyway, well, we're what well, we're wise, right? We're wiser. Um, yeah, I'll take it. What I tell myself, um, but I, you know, I, I've spent Danny a long time in the tech industry. I've worked automating expense reports, tax, um, even spent many years really focused on e-commerce, and certainly through that big age of marketplaces and, and e-com companies through like Shopify, etc., coming to life. And so, you know, I've seen what really, you know, good marketing and, you know, I really think that e-com because of its ability to, to really rely on its digital capabilities has really, you know, I think set the tone for a lot of how business should, should run. And so I'm excited to be a part now of Brightloom. I've been here three years um, to kind of bring, I think, that expertise and in thinking into how do we help restaurateurs owners, operators, marketers, how do we help them really leverage, you know, this digital thinking in their business and really optimize around it? And so, you know, I'm excited to share some of our thinking with you today. I think uh, this will, timing's really good too. I don't know if you're like me, every day I open up my news feed and it's AI, 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 right? Which is certainly what we're centered around. And so, you know, hopefully we can be an informative look into to AI for you and your listeners. Yeah, that, actually this, this very morning, um, we did a story using chat GPT, which um, we have an account to, um, but, but, you know, we're going to kind of look at it like, uh, you know, kind of playing around with it. So we asked it, you know, to write an article or how to create a ghost kitchen. And so the, the way that we phrased the article, though, is like, we asked the AI how to make a ghost kitchen. You know, what do you think of what they said versus them writing articles for us? <laughs> you know, which uh, it's um, interesting as a tool. We'll definitely figure out ways to have it help us. But, you know, it was it was a pretty interesting um 
you know, what the results were. I, you know, some of, obviously what it's doing is kind of just searching Google, right? And then one thing that we've learned to do is at the end of it, say, cite your sources and it'll show us the articles it pulled these things from. But yeah, I mean, it was kind of fun. Um, obviously, this is more in like the content creation AI space, which is very big now. But yeah, I mean, what are, you know, in terms of what you're seeing and, and how that applies to restaurants, um, where is that conversation beginning? Yeah, it's, you know, it's actually, I get really excited reading a lot of these articles, even though ChatGBT, to your point, has its own issues, right? And isn't the answer, obviously, for everything. But what I love is that it is educating the market on what's possible, right, using AI. And so, you know, we've been working with brands now, you know, Starbucks and and uh, El Poloco and Jamba to really help them take their data, right, and understand their customer through that data, but more importantly, predict what that customer is going to do next. And when you understand the customer better and you can almost predict what you should or do next with them, inevitably you can keep or change or influence their behavior, right? Hopefully for the better, right? In in nearly most cases as we see. So I'm excited that AI is finally becoming a, a well-known and understood and accepted thought process around using data to make predictions, right? And leveraging those predictions to take action. You know, that is what we we've been doing for the last few years and and certainly expect to do even more with it um in the future yeah we we asked it the other day to write a um basically like a marketing tagline for a mcdonald's competitor <laughs> and the, i don't really remember exactly what it said i wish it had it in front of me because it was really silly but the you know the final sentence was something like and you'll have an actual happy meal <laughs> and i was like oh, i don't know where it came up with this but i kind of liked it I mean, you get sued most likely if you actually tried to run that, but, um, but it was fun, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think you're right. I mean, I think it's, it's really helping the mindset of, of thinking what happens in the future um, yeah. and how it can, you know, a lot of restaurant technology, I think has to be viewed through that lens of, you know, ways to improve things that we're, we've been doing historically well, you know, versus trying to figure out ways to swap out things. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and I, yeah, and I, I think you know, is where, where a lot of brands are right now, right? Is many through COVID even probably spent a lot of money, um, maybe changing tools to your point, right? Regrouping their technology, trying to figure out what are the platforms that they need um, to really, you know, elevate their business. And so, to me, most or many at least, are pretty prime and and ready now. Hopefully they've got their tech and their data kind of started to to really get foundational to how they run their business. Now it's it's like, how do you begin to use it and every day optimize around it and continuing that process. Um, And without AI, that's really hard. I, I don't think most brands have, you know, a team of 15 analysts and and data scientists right on staff to kind of help build these algorithms, build the models, even have the expertise around it. Right. And so I, I, 
I really am excited to see restaurants kind of take it, you know, and start to leverage it because I think they're going to find it actually makes their life easier. They don't have to think as much, right? They can actually just do and run their business. Yeah, I think it, I think it speaks something that you mentioned in there, you know, in, in the terms of AI, I think, you know, you go back a year and probably the most that we heard it in restaurants was around like automated ordering um, at the drive-through in particular. Yep. And that's kind of a bold AI idea. <laughs> but yeah. what I think that we're starting to see in the restaurant industry a lot now is not so much those huge things like robots in the kitchen and all this kind of cool stuff. It's more the things that are helping your restaurant actually run more efficiently. And that's where I think now this AI conversation is starting to go. It doesn't have to be a you know, a bot on the other end of your, you know, drive through menu board telling you it's four o'clock on a Friday and it's sunny outside. So you should have lemonade. <laughs> not, not that all that technology isn't cool because it is, it's just that it's not for everybody. And, um, you know, and the consumer part of that is, is going to change and it's still pretty early, but a lot of what's happening behind the scenes now, I think is where this is all really starting to kind of lock in. Yeah. And that's, and I think that's exciting. Um, yeah. I think that's exciting too. Place. I do too. And um, I also believe a lot of restaurants are assessing inflation, right? And, and margins. And I also think AI is a very powerful tool to help with those pieces. You know, um, so many are kind of locked into thinking, you know, around discounts and promotions and, and AI can help them assess out through their data, customer behaviors, what's worked, what hasn't, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to, you can ensure that the ROI is always there, right? If you do it right. Um, so I actually think restaurants might save money, right? With a lot of the way they've gone about engaging their customers because the AI will tell them really when it's necessary and when it's not and how to optimize around things like, you know, um, margins. Right. So, right. So in, in Brightloom's case, you know, I, I know a lot of what the platform does, you know, you're looking at using data to identify its, you know, customer behavior trends and things of that nature. I'm very curious what some of these behavior trends are right now, because I read, I write, I guess, um, things every week that it's, it's so different. Um, you know, some restaurants, you know, are, see the world is ending right now. And then, and then some think it's never been more optimism than ever, but just in terms of, you know, some people are coming, they think consumers are coming less often, but spending more when they do come and so on and so forth. It's just a lot of different avenues to this, uh, trend, you know, part, which I think is why, you know, in January, when we started coming out with all our trend articles, I mean, it was just all over the place, which was fun, but um, maybe more now than ever since I've done this, it just seems that that data would be very helpful to your brand to to actually figure out what your guest is asking for, because it's not so uniform at this moment. Right, which I completely agree. And I think one of the key ingredients to that, right, is having the ability to segment, right, your customers based on behavior, right? The one thing I'm, I'm just, a, a, I repeat over and over and over is that when you look at your customers and you're trying to understand their behavior, right, you have to understand who is your most loyal, like who's generating the most amount of revenue for you, right? 
versus the customer that maybe just had their first experience with you or maybe hasn't been back in, right, in months, weeks, years, right? You have to first be able to kind of categorize your customer pretty easily. Now, we have some what I think are pretty sophisticated modeling to help you do that automatically, I say. But in essence, that's like the first step because to your point, as you assess trends, you know, just as we say marketing shouldn't be a one size fits all, either should how you think about your customer and how their behavior is changing. And so it's, you know, it's a thing that I always like to really emphasize that first understand the basis of your customers, right? And how you would categorize them, whether it's based on the frequency, the products that they like, the stores that they go to, you name it, right? There's a lot of different ways to slice and dice it and then analyze the trends because we see time and time again, right? If you're, if you're looking too macro, right, the trend may be too macro. You need to, to really get it at a more individualized level, right? We always say it'd be ideal if it could be one-to-one, right? We know that's definitely hard to get to that level. Um, although some brands are getting kind of close, um, you know, what's the trend of that one customer, right? Um, but that being said, it's it's definitely um, an aspect that I think every restaurant should be thinking about right now. Who are my customers? How do I segment them based on their behavior? And then how do I continue to monitor and trend them out in a really easy way? I'm not sure if you've seen this, but um, just from restaurant marketers that I've talked to in the last, I would say, I would say this is like a two-year trend. It's really changed the way that they talk about this conversation where it seemed like four or five years ago, it was all about this incremental visit and the you know, that was sort of the lure of delivery was, well, they're incremental users. I wasn't getting them before. <laughs> but but what I hear now most of the time isn't so much that as it is actually figuring out that loyal core user and worrying a lot more about them than that customer who kind of just sort of gets to you through a channel that, you know, maybe you weren't on before. And so a lot of the brands that I speak to now, they're really trying to figure out I'm trying to think of an example. There's someone I just, <laughs> I think, I think I might've been, oh, okay. It was, um, so it was Chipotle. They were talking about this where they're saying, okay, well, we're taking price and it's pricing out, you know, this specific consumer demographic, but in the end, that demographic wasn't a loyal customer anyway. So who cares? <laughs> so, so the, the person who was the core Chipotle user didn't have much of a problem with the 10% or whatever it was of price. And that's really where they were focusing their loyalty offers on and not on deals and discounts to get that other person in there since they probably weren't going to come back anyway. So that's all very interesting to me. <laughs> I'm just curious, you know, if that's something on the tech and the data side that you've seen too, is really trying to it's almost create like this, you know, program or this VIP world that people to kind of live within and, and speak to that guest, maybe more so than trying to attract, you know, brand new ones all the time. That's right. Outside of a, I can think of a few scenarios, right? Your most loyal customer, nine out of 10 times doesn't need a discount from you, right? Doesn't, they actually don't <clears throat> want, they don't want to feel like a transaction, right? They want to feel like a customer, like to your point, even around a VIP customer, a very important customer, right? So I think as brands, I love that Chipotle story. I completely see that in our data set too, as we're working with brands, that you could be 
wasting, in fact, hurting your relationship at the upper end of your customer loyalty base because you're not thinking in, in the ways in which they want you to think. They'd rather be recognized, right? They'd rather feel special outside of anything else because chances are they're going to come back tomorrow because they like your product. You're convenient for them. You've been kind of built into some sort of repetition, you know, in their day, week, month, year. And so the the goal here is just to improve that, what I call the more emotional relationship with them versus the very transactional one. Yeah, I think a, I think a great example of this, if you're just kind of looking on the outside into the industry right now as a consumer, is just look at um, what Dunkin' and Starbucks did and how it kind of angered a lot of people, <laughs> you know, especially oh. on the Dunkin' side, where it's like they, you know, they changed the loyalty program to, to essentially make it harder to get free things. Yep. But the way that they kind of moved around, you know, what they were offering, and Starbucks just did this recently again, harder to start earning, but different types of uh, experiences for those who do, they were essentially recognizing this fact that that person who is using their loyalty X times to get free thing wasn't really who they were trying to court. Um, And that sucks for the value seekers out there. But at the end of the day, Starbucks does not have value seekers in this core demographic. (laughs) You know, and they, they basically were just outwardly admitting that um, through their loyalty program, where it's like, well, yeah, our drinks are six or seven dollars, but they were never cheap to begin with. So we're not going to give away things for free, but we are going to give you loyalty that comes in a different fashion. Yeah. And I think within a couple of years, that's probably going to be what the industry looks like for a lot of these brands. Yeah. I'll even, you know, in that vein, I'll even share another story with a a juice brand that we were working with. Um, They launched their loyalty program, a new app. They were really excited. But what they realized, right, when they looked at the redemption, right, of these, the loyalty program in itself, the redemption of, let's say, the discount or the, um, you know, the offer, right, that was being presented through the program, that 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 offer was being only viewed at the time of standing in front, right, of the POS to pay. Right. So the 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 customer was opening the app when they were already in the store, right, to then just redeem the one coupon that they always believed would be there for them at the time of purchase. It didn't get them into the store, right? Um, and so I think that to your point, I think that restaurants are now starting to retrain their thinking and and even their customers around the value that they're providing and, um, you know, what brings them into the store, right. Versus what gets them to maybe make that incremental purchase as an example. So yeah, that's a, it's a, it's, it's definitely evolving and changing and it's going to be a great, a great thing to, to continue to watch. Yeah. As a consumer, the two things I like most are, exclusivity like digital exclusive or let me find out about something before other people and then i also like some kind of app that makes ease of ordering you know streamlined and takes that friction out those are really the only two things that i personally want (laughs) because the discounts are kind of it's like saying this the other day but I've got to spend a hundred bucks to get $9 off. I mean, who, who really cares? You know, that's not, that's not going to influence a lot of my behavior. Not that I won't take the $9 off, but if that's all that the loyalty program does for me, 
it's not really going to be worth the real estate on my phone. But you know, if it if it saves my order history, if I can load it up that way, walk in, grab it off the shelf, not have to deal with queuing up with people, all that kind of stuff is really valuable, at least to me personally. Um, so it's kind of time and experience versus just discounts. You know, and then it's also nice, of course, to not have to pay like aggregator fees, if, you know, but, but that's a different conversation. Yeah. That's, you know, it's, it's all, um, in my, as I always tell people, I mean, COVID was terrible, obviously for a thousand reasons, but I do think the quick service industry in particular is a much better place now than it was three years ago, four years ago, however yeah. long it's been going on. <laughs> Yeah, it leapfrogged, right? A lot of potential iterations it would have gone through. Um, I completely agree with you. But the one thing, you know, maybe to even highlight is we're having this conversation that, you know, I think of, of restaurants that are doing things really well and then restaurants that are maybe struggling, right? The one common theme I see and when I, you know, kind of step away and just view what's working and what's not, even if they're leveraging, both leveraging a loyalty program, even if they have some good thoughts around insights and programs and, and they're trying to be innovative, right? The piece that I see missing time and time again is this connection, right, around the data and where and how transactions are happening. So let me let me like take that one step further. So, you know, for us, Brightloom, we like to look at three dimensions of data, right? As we're helping brands understand what to do next. Obviously the point of sale, right? Where the transaction takes place, tracking the trending, right? And the abilities, I mean, that's where the, the meat of the, the, the data lives. But then matching that data, right? To the other avenues where customer, let's call it experience or engagement, a loyalty program as an example, it's so important because if you don't, if you can't really, if you're not accurate, right, with the data, if the data is not complete, I mean, I'll, I'll share it like a, a perfect example with you. A brand, um, we do uh, something when you, when you begin working with us, we, we give a kind of a data health analysis, right? Because what we found, we've been on this journey for the last few years is you can't really deliver the right experience. You can't really even understand your customer if you don't have good data, right? If the data is not there for you to actually work from. So this brand said, oh, we've got millions of customers. We're really excited. Let's get going. We bring in their data into our models, our data lake. We build all you know, our canonicalization, et cetera. They only actually could recognize 10% of their customers, all right? So like, assess that. Now, this is a dramatic example, right? I would say most are kind of in the 40 to 50% range, but still, right? Take, take this. So they're making a lot of assumptions, right? Based on that 10% of the data that they can actually understand, right? Everything else is just noise in the system and could actually be deterring or subtracting from some of the trending in other areas. And so one of the things I think is brands really think about their loyalty program, understanding their customer, maybe activating things like AI, the health of your data will really give you kind of the A grade, as I like to think, in this new world, or an F, right? If you're working from bad data, incomplete data, data that's not connected, 
you can't accelerate, you can't optimize, right? And, you know, it's just one thing I think that often gets missed in this story, right, is starting at the base, starting at the foundation level. It's always really, really important. And I, you know, one thought I would have every operator, every marketer, every CEO would be thinking about is just, can they truly, do they truly feel like the health of their data is, would they give themselves a really good rating? And if not, they should start to think about it more and more and more because as we get better and better at optimizing experiences, even as you were bringing up, right? The source of that information has to be good. Like it has to be really good. Otherwise it's wrong, right? And you're making a lot of assumptions based on bad data, which is not good. Um, So I just wanted to make sure that I highlighted that point, right? Because we think about often the end game, right? The actual new experience we can unlock or the update to our loyalty program. But a lot of what we actually work with brands right out of the gate on is that first piece, which is getting your data organized, making sure that the health of your data passes our grade, right? So when you take these steps forward, you know and can trust that they're accurate and they're right. Right. Yeah. And I, I don't I know, know that. that. Is that another thing maybe you hear come up? Yeah, well, so, yeah, definitely. So what I was going to say about that, I know, you know, someone you work with in the past with Ruby Tuesday or currently, but, um, you know, that whole sector of casual dining uh, pre-COVID, one of the most common things that we would hear was this click and collect. Um, One of the the good things about what's happened with um, a lot of this digital adoption is you don't really hear that all that much anymore because, at least now that people are collecting data, <laughs> but, but to your, your point, um, definitely the growth area right there is going from collecting it to knowing what it is to knowing if it's good data and then figuring out what to do with it. So, so I definitely think the full service side of the industry is, is kind of a, maybe a half a step behind the quick serves when it comes to this. And that, and then a lot of that is just because people aren't, you know, doing a lot of off-premise ordering, but quick service have had to do this too with the drive-through, you know, and finding different ways to now know that customer. So, so definitely is very, very prevalent. Um, what you're saying, I think there, there were a lot of companies back, um, five or six years ago. I remember being at the NRA show, a lot of data intelligence companies, <laughs> Yeah, a little bit of a wild west at the time, yeah. because like you had POS data, right. And then, what else did you know? <laughs> right. Now you know. Now you know a lot more. Um, yeah. So companies yeah. like Brightloom, and you know, this this is really where now this becomes an actionable beginning to something better. Yeah, yeah, which I which I agree with, and you know, and it doesn't just stop. It never stops, right? Is is just another comment I would make around data health. Um, I was even on with a brand this week where something had changed in how their POS systems was tracking information and all of a sudden data (laughs) just dropped in its ability to kind of, you know, feed the models, et cetera. And they realized that someone in IT, right, had made a flip of a switch and had actually created some issues for them. And it's just even a simple thing like that, that had that not been immediately understood, right? I, I, would, I thought, wow, 
three to six months from now. And you actually might've said, holy cow, what just happened? I don't, I'm, I'm now missing all this information. You know, you also have to monitor it, right? It's, it's get it in a good spot, but then don't let it get in a bad spot again, right? Like continuous monetization. Um, I, I think it's just another element. And then on top of that, right, make sure, you know, we see a lot of brands moving into things like Web3, right? And and some of these new TikTok, right? These new places, right? With their customers, you know, always be thinking about how do I bring that data back, right? To my hub of information. So I can always be using that as part of my, you know, ever going, uh, ecosystem of, of information I always, I always like when dogs bark on these um... I'm so sorry no I actually I actually I, love I thought, oh no here goes the dog what kind, what kind of what kind of dog are we talking I have a cavapoo I have two cavapoos because I know what the second what's the first part also oh, like a king cavalier is a cavalier, yeah a, a cavalier spaniel and a yeah. cockapoo or a poodle right got it it's a my great brother had a my brother had a cockapoo for, for many years. Yeah. They don't shed, which is cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say, you know, Cavaliers are pretty relaxed, lovable dogs, right? Very loyal. And the, the poodle obviously prevents them from shedding. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty great breed. Um, but they do bark yeah. at, at anyone walking by. <laughs> I have a, so before, you know, we're back in the office now, but you know, we worked from home for a while and I have a basset hound. So she became Ooh. a very, uh, frequent guest on my zoom calls and she also howls. So her bark was a lot worse and more disruptive than what your dog just, just did. Um, I've actually seen a, a basset poo, by the way. And oh, I was going to actually weird, ask. weird looking dog. Um, <laughs> I mean, the basset hound mixes have the, they like take the basset hound body and then it's like they get the head of the, it's, if you look up any basset hound mix, they're always like that. It's the weirdest thing in the world, but. Yeah. How about the eyes? Do they get the basset eyes too? No, it's, so like I, I saw, I one time saw a basset hound um, Rottweiler mix, which, you know, how that happened, uh, I don't want to think about, <laughs> but it, but it looked like a, it was just a Rottweiler basically, but with the body like this you know, dog, this long, low-to-the-ground basset hound body. It was one of the stranger-looking dogs I've seen in life. But um, <laughs> So that's what a basset poo looks like. It's like it's like half basset hound, half golden, you know, whatever it is. But anyway, obviously unrelated to anything. Um, although that was, I never want to not talk about dogs, so... The last thing that I'll ask you, Kelly, before before we let you go, though, is just to kind of maybe provide like a scope into what awaits us in 2023. I um, it's kind of a loaded question. Yeah, I was just doing. We're we're in our <laughs> earning earning season right now for you know publicly traded brands and profitability seems to be the the word of the uh, the season. Everybody's talking about that. And um, I guess that really stems from the inflation side of things. But inflation, customer data regulation, staffing, inventory, so forth and so on. What, what would you kind of say and from your view is, is what awaits us here? I mean, I kind of as I started earlier, I, I think, I mean, I obviously all those pieces are going to be, um, we'll see, I guess, how they play out. But for me, I think, you know, 
restaurants in in particular are going to be really focused on driving the most amount of, I guess, loyal behavior that they possibly can through new mechanisms. Um, You know, I hope that more brands will think about things like Web3, right? Finding new ways and new places, right, for engaging their customer and creating a more unique experience. Um, You know, those other pieces, I think, inflation and all that, I'm sure other experts you have on the call, right, can better talk to those. But when I think about how is the restaurant going to change or evolve moving forward with their customer, you know, will email marketing go away? Probably not, right? But I think it'll become very nominal in how brands think about their customer and, and how to reach them, how to how to impact the loyalty and the emotional connection they have with, with their brand. I think they're going to get a lot more creative. I think we're going to see things like collaborations, right? I think we're going to see things where brands are collaborating together, um, maybe going into areas like Web3, um, creating these very VIP experience-like components inside even the restaurant. When you walk in the door, they're going to know who you are and they're going to take you on onto a different path. Um, so I'm excited to see how data and AI is going to help enable those things and make them possible. And I think as a consumer, even, I'm excited for these, the times ahead of us, because I think to your point earlier, we're going to get more convenient engagement, right, for us that meet our needs. And with that, we're going to feel more excited about entering, you know, the future restaurant. Yeah, it's um, very, very true. I mean, my, uh, I think you almost forget that when you used to go to Chipotle, you had to you'd walk in the door and you had no idea if you had to wait in line or go to the left of the counter, like if you ordered ahead. And just that alone, I mean, that doesn't happen anymore. (laughs) Thank God, because it was actually terrible, but you just didn't really have a baseline for what convenience meant beyond the drive-through. And now that has changed. So, but what if I'm also excited about that concept? Yeah, and imagine, Danny, when they actually, when your phone, this may, may, may scare some, some people, but they actually know, you know, who you are and can feel you coming, right? So yeah, yeah, Taco Bell does that, whether or not yeah. they realize it or not. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. they do in some of the stores, yeah. Yeah, and so then, you know, man, if with that information, a, a, a restaurant can really get good at the experience they're about to deliver you, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, geolocation stuff um, is only getting better, you know, whether or not they're, you know, they're able to fire up or throttle, you know, how they're going to figure out how close you are to pick up. (laughs) Or if it is, yeah, they're saying, okay, well, Kelly's coming in, she always orders this, I'm going to put this on the board. You know, it's, it's, um, it's very, you know, I think that most people, when you ask them, they're not worried about that kind of data swap. Of course, some are, but I think once you see it in action, and it gives you a better experience. You become a lot more open to it. Yeah. I, I, that's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. That's right. Well, thanks for having me, Danny. This was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Before, before I let you go at the very end here though, if anybody who is listening, you know, wants to learn more about Brightloom, maybe wants to reach out to you, what would be a good place for them just to track down some of that information? Yeah, I would, I would tell them go to brightloom.com. Um, we actually have two ways of, of you can sign up, right, to get started with us. You can also 
uh, get access to our free data health report, both from our website, which is kind of a fun exercise to do no matter what. So go check us out. Cool. All right. Well, we appreciate it. I look forward to seeing what happens in this next year. Maybe we'll do this again a year from now. <laughs> yeah. See if uh, anything that we predicted happens. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Let's hold ourselves. Yes. Accountable to, to yeah, see. I mean, oh, well, only if we were right. Otherwise, it just... <laughs> We won't. We won't run it. But, but thank you, Kelly. I uh, appreciate it. For everybody out there who's listening, as always, thank you. See you next time.